time to abandon ship. Can I persuade you to join us for a drink? It's a tradition. Here, here. Jaja, call me. My main man. Quickly. Before the Separatists attack, get into the escape pod. Hey! This is escape? Then where the pod? Here's the Welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod. I'm your host, Josh. We've got Blake in the Escape Pod. We're going to be chatting to you about Bo-Katan. What happened to Bo-Katan? Where did she start? Where did it end? All the appearances that Bo-Katan has had through the likes of Star Wars The Clone Wars, Star Wars Rebels, novel appearances, The Mandalorian, anything that she's popped up in, we're going to chat about it going chronologically, beginning to end, and then just talking about her character arc, what she's all about, and where she's going to go in the future with future Star Wars content coming down the road. So, let's get into Bo-Katan. Another happy landing. Your commitment to Mandalore's freedom is legendary, my lady. This belongs to you. I had my chance to rule and I failed. I am not my sister. I am not the leader you seek. Welcome back, Blake. Hello there, my little friend. <laughs> Hello there, my old friend. <laughs> What's going on, Josh? How's your night? Yeah, pretty good. It's going pretty well. What about yours? Better now. Get to talk about some Star Wars. Yeah, it's always the highlight of every single day. That's right. <laughs> what? <laughs> I wake up in the morning. I look at my wall, I see a Star Wars calendar. Look at my other wall, I see Star Wars Lego, Star Wars book. Look at my other wall, I see another Star Wars book. You know, go into my next room, I've got posters on the wall, pins, display cases, posters, you know? I live and breathe the Star Wars, man. It's basically like you're living in the halls of Lucasfilm. Basically, I mean, you know, it might as well be right here. <laughs> I mean, uh, we got we got a very interesting character to chat about today because, of course, kind of like uh, one of those characters that's popped up here and there, but really also hard to keep tabs on a lot of the time because she's there and then she's gone. She's there and then she's gone. But then she's always been around and she's very easily recognizable and, you know, big fan favorite character at this point. And played by Katie Sackhoff, uh, the voice and the live action performance. Yeah, that was a cool thing in and of itself. I, is it, this might be the first time Star Wars has had the voice actor play the live action character. I think I think it is. Yeah, because with Ahsoka, they didn't go that yeah, route. Everyone and thought then, they would. Right. Yeah, and and you know, toward disappointment, 
they, they didn't they didn't but you know we already talked about that on the ahsoka one <laughs> uh but then of course saw guerrera is another character that that actually the first character that made the the transition from animation to live action starting yeah. in clone wars going into rebels and and uh, and then of course Rogue One. Yeah, it's still crazy to me that all the way back in Clone Wars they had Forrest Whitaker voicing Saw Gerrera. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. They didn't. <laughs> what? Have I been lied to? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Katie Sackhoff so far is I think the only character, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. Has played the character in both iterations, right? Like animation and live action. Is that because she does live action like filming as well? I think so. I, I think, and, and there was a conversation that she had on, on, on some sort of media platform that she was giving an interview, and she said that Dave actually told her when he cast her as the character, he said, "Hey, look, you know, like who knows down the line, this character could be in a movie or something." Yeah, I'm you know, sure. like <laughs> in those days too. Making Clone yeah. Wars, she's like, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was totally like, believe it's never going to happen, Dave, but I'll do it. And and sure enough, it actually happened. So, That's yeah, crazy. So she, couldn't, she couldn't get over that when they were there on set and she had her costume and, you know, she was just so uh, – she's one of those actors that you just – you want them to have that role because they're so happy to have it, right? And they own For sure. that role. And and so mad respects to Katie Sackhoff. And she actually looks like the animated version. So I wonder if they modeled it after her. I think they did. I have a feeling they did. And I have a feeling that Dave Filoni might also be a, a, a big uh, a fan. Katie Sackhoff fan. Yeah. Anyways. yeah. What else has she done outside of playing? Uh, like I'm pretty sure Oak it was 10. Battlestar Galactica. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, hold on a second. Let me just confirm that. Sackoff, Katie Sackoff. Her name is always so hard to spell. It's it's uh, it's K A T E E. It's like I I always want to do the I E, but yeah. Okay, yeah. So it was in uh, she was in Battlestar Galactica. And, okay. Um, I. It's been so long uh, since I watched that. I never watched oh, the whole man. thing, so at, at least you saw it. I, I've never actually yeah, sat it down was and watched it. Still coming out on the air every week. Watched it right. a handful of times in my my aunt and uncle's house because my uncle was obsessed with it. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's a it's a it's like a it's kind of like Stargate in the sense that there's this fan following. But yeah, yeah, TV sci-fi show kind of thing, and and it's very recognizable, but also the kind of thing that not everyone's seen. So. Uh, yeah, so she's been she's been in that very prominently one of the main characters, I believe, as well. So I uh, wouldn't be surprised. That makes sense long. then. Also, that makes sense why uh, Dave would be a fan, right? So Yeah, yeah. He's probably a big Battlestar fan or something. I, I have no idea. But I'm curious, actually, what all Dave's favorite uh, different genres and series are. Well, he's a big Lord of the Rings fan. He's uh, he's massive Lord of the Rings fan. I mean, that's that's he makes that pretty clear to fans. The, the but. books or the the films, like the, oh, the just new the, ones, just the just Middle Earth. You know, the whole okay. the whole deal, the books, the the movies, and you know his 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 age. He's at the right age that it would have been the books first. Uh, okay, a lot of people, even up. though they're of the age, never read the books because they're they're pretty dry at points, including the beginning. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> no, I think uh, by by the by the sounds of how he talks about the series, it, it it seems as if he's been a 
fan of that franchise for a long time. Like, okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, the seeing is his the trajectory of his job and and just the nature of I don't know, even just getting into this business and being a, a director of any kind of stuff. I would would not be surprised if if those stories of like being a a fantasy lover and then of course also loving Star Wars, it kind of goes hand in hand. And, yeah, it's and Star true. Wars com, yeah, and Star Wars com has had an article in the past, and I've I've actually tweeted it out on the on the podcast on the podcast Twitter, but it's a it's a Star Wars blog page where they did a, a comparison of the influences that Lord of the Rings has had on Star Wars throughout the years as different things have come out. And I thought it was a very Most interesting of that article. Probably would be Dave's stuff because George yeah. wouldn't have been influenced because Peter Jackson was releasing his films at the same time. There was uh no, not the films, the books. Okay. And, okay. and there, books. Yeah, and there is stuff from Clone Wars in there with Dave Filoni and some of his sketches and you know all that. But uh it, it does actually get into some of the things in the films that uh some of the story points and here and there that that have some things in common yeah uh it's been a while since was based on frodo so that makes sense (laughs) 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 i can see the resemblance (laughs) yeah 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 it's they they got a good a good thing going on there and (laughs) it's like well you know when i when i made ezra i just wanted him to be a lot like Frodo, I'm <laughs> gonna say Aladdin. Very incompetent. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, he's a bit like Aladdin too, and he's yeah, he's basically Aladdin. <laughs> I also love the idea of the pitch being the night before Dave just watched Aladdin, and that's all I could think about. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I could just imagine that when Disney's looking for a new. Star Wars character, nothing hits the right spot. And then yeah. Jay walks in the room. He's like, we need a Star Wars Aladdin. And Kathy is just like, you know what? Let's do it, Dave. You're right. Star Wars Aladdin. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Luke Skywalker and Frodo Baggins share many aspects of their journeys together. They're both reluctant to leave their their place of origin, prodded into action by a mentor you know obi-wan gandalf the gray respectively they're both just the hero's journey (laughs) yeah 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 totally it's 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 the hero's journey for sure but then there's also i mean in the prequel trilogy anakin is is also a lot like frodo and this is i'm just going off of the article that they've done comparisons on and uh the ending of revenge of the sith and, and lord of the rings return of the king both occur around a lava volcano, and uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of things there, and and they go through some of that seems more coincidence than pre-planned, but yeah, <laughs> well, they go through everything from the films to Clone Wars to Rebels, and this article is published March thirteenth, two thousand sixteen. So this is uh, a bit of a an older an older article now, and. Um, you know, there is a little bit of a, a nod to The Force Awakens, uh, which at the time of this article had, had only just ca- come out uh, that previous December, I guess. So, yeah, but there's a, a little blurb here, which is interesting. Filoni and the crew have long been inspired by the work of Peter Jackson, too. In 2012, on the eve of the release of the first installment of the Hobbit trilogy, Filoni wrote a piece explaining the back and forth inspiration between the crew of the Clone Wars and 
the Lord of the Rings. And uh, there's a, a second article on StarWars.com that goes into that specifically. Uh, it's called Loving the Hobbit, Building the Clone Wars. So who is Bo-Katan based on? <laughs> I have no idea. But we're, <laughs> we're going to get into Bo-Katan, which is what this episode is all about. So, <laughs> so Bo-Katan, a member of the Night Owls, uh, she wore blue and white Mandalorian <laughs> armor. The night uh, owls to me, it just sounds like she stays up too late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the clan that goes to bed after everyone else. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> well, uh, the night owls were an elite Mandalorian unit made up of various types of warriors that all fell under her leadership. Yeah. And they allied with the death watch, which was Vizsla's clan with other people in it, I guess. And the Night Owls have just always been her thing. I don't really know if it's because she's technically part of the Kry's clan, but then the Night Owls is like a group, I guess, within that clan. It's Kree's, I think. Or yeah, Kree's. Yeah, um, it, I guess it's just like a group that follows her loyalty rather than being a, maybe. Maybe it's just like yeah, a, it's a like a, a group within a group. Like they, yeah, kind of a group within well, a group, which loyalty can change, I guess. Yeah, because clans are somewhat family based i think so then like a group could be across different families i guess yeah i guess a group like that would be it's like we all belong to our respective families and then a group is just like your your group of friends or whatever yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> our group of friends needs a name nighthawks <laughs> i think the, the listeners should should tweet at us yeah yeah Nothing, nothing, uh, nothing that we haven't heard before. We've already got the losers. We've already got. <laughs> I don't know why we keep getting all these tweets. <laughs> I know, man. Do, I walk down the street, people give me suggestions. Hey, nerd. <laughs> yeah, so that's Bo-Katan. And, um, you know, she's she's showed up in a variety of, of, of things. And we're just going to walk through, you know, beginning to end and then just speculate on what's going to happen with this character at the end of the day. So. How about we just graze through one at a time, and if there's anything notable to talk about as we summarize her appearances, uh, then we'll just kind of get into that. Sure. So the first time we ever meet Bo-Katan as a character is Star Wars The Clone Wars in the episode called A Friend in Need. And uh, I should have wrote down the season episode numbers, but whatever. Uh, she fights with uh, Pre Vizsla and the Death Watch clan. And uh, she also meets Ahsoka and Lux Bonteri in the same episode on that planet where there's a bunch of snow and there's like a a bunch of villagers that that Vizsla clan is you know burning up their village and taking their women and all that stuff right yeah it was a pretty and dark introduction it is yeah and she she is definitely not perceived as a protagonist in any way whatsoever no. at this point. she she is 100 uh a villain in, in she was, many respects and not even a lead villain she was a sidekick yeah, she was just the sidekick, like Lady Mandalorian. Yeah, she right? was like the Darth Vader to Emperor, right? Yeah, yeah, and so she could, you know, she could be considered a terrorist at this point. Uh, she attacks helpless civilians, I think, in this episode. Yeah, what happens is they, I guess, Death Watch had just showed up at this village, and I, I believe it's on Mandalore, and the villagers offered them like housing and food and stuff, and man, and uh, Death Watch just kind of took over and laid down their own rules and wouldn't let family members see each other. We started just stealing all their stuff. And then when the leader of the town asked them to leave, they said, sure. And the next morning they stabbed the leader's granddaughter with a dark saber and then lit all of their houses on fire and, and were 
trying to kill all of it, the villagers, just execute them. But yeah, Ahsoka was there to try to stop it. Yeah, so... This is where we was... meet Bo-Katan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's this is where... just killing innocents. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 kind of brutal. And I, I, thinking back to that episode, though, I do have to say I don't remember specifically ever seeing Bo-Katan kill the people like the other Mandalorians were, but she did take part in the chase and fired some shots at Ahsoka and Lux when they were in the speeder trying to get away. Yeah, from from the camp and all that. Yeah, so so she was part of the whole thing and didn't seem to be resisting. But but I don't I don't know specifically if she was one of the people that that just straight up murdered these people. Right? Yeah, honestly, I don't know if it's ever been explained, but I'm really curious what happens in the division between her and her sister, Satine. Because her her sister is the current leader of Mandalore, total pacifist, and mm-hmm. Bo-Katan is essentially an outcast who's been, I'm guessing, forced out of the city, if not left on, on her own. And is trying to dethrone her sister and bring back the old culture. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. It's some it's some what you would call some major dramatic family situation there. I mean, Star Wars is ultimately about family uh, in many ways. And when you look at that greater picture of the Skywalker saga, it is about the Skywalker family. But in these episodes of the Clone Wars and these other shows and, and whatever else, you get those same type stories about family in other characters, right? And and so even Saw Gerrera, for example, part of what makes his character is that his sister dies yeah. in the Clone Wars and he gets he evolves into this leader because she was the leader before him, right? And so when you look at Bo-Katan, like her conflict is is derived from like being part of this like terrorist organization could be the fact that she was forced out by her sister taking control of the yeah, planet. It seemed like she was in exile. Yeah, or or even yeah, and just outlawing all these things and 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 so she obviously with different beliefs decided like, well, hey, these guys are are going that way and doing their own thing to try and keep our actual culture alive. I want to be part of that. So I can imagine that she just gets sucked into that. Yeah. But it could I mean, definitely be one of those things where they lead you lead you on a bit with this is what we're trying to do, trying to reestablish the the old ways where we were respected yeah. in the galaxy, and then they slowly reveal to you that they're doing some very sketchy stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it eventually, you know, I think Bo Katan realizes that that uh well, you know, she, that's I don't know. I, I I think she knows that she's that she can be better, and you know, we'll get into that later as yeah. she kind of slowly evolves into a protagonist. But the, uh, I, this at this point in time, Death Watch seems to be the only group of Mandalorians who haven't turned pacifist. Yeah, and I think that's what she's kind of seeking to be part of at this point. Yeah. Um, it's just trying to seek that original culture that that she believes in. So the next time we see her is Clone Wars episode called Eminence. And uh, Bo-Katan and the Death Watch find Maul and Savage Opress on their ship and and uh, rescue them. And this is, um, this is the moment where they've been floating in space for who knows how long. And it's really cold in there. And, and you know, their engines are dead and everything. And it was after... 
Ventress and Kenobi as barely escaped with their lives after they fought them on on the you know the the ship and then the junk world of yeah of, I think it was like Raxus or something or Raxus Prime or whatever but um or maybe it was another planet who knows uh, I think it is I think it is Raxus Prime yeah I forget they they they're doing so much traveling there's also that planet with all the villagers that Maul was killing and stuff so i can't even remember the name of the planet but uh but yeah basically they're stranded in space bo katan and death watch rescue them and they figure out that that these guys are after the jedi because you know they're 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 not jedi and uh clearly clearly not uh but they realize that they can actually make an alliance and i think pre vizsla just thinks to himself oh, we can use these guys for our own gain and, like, they're a means to an end kind of thing. But then Maul was also talking to his brother about it and he's, like, you know, wants to use yeah, them to a they, means to an end. they both end. have a plan to manipulate the other and eventually betray. So it's just kind yeah. of a race to see who's going to betray the other soonest. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and Bo-Katan's loyalty is tied with the fate of Pre Vizsla, which is kind of what works into the next arc or the next episode spoilers uh, which is, yeah so <laughs> uh so the next episode they show up in uh, it's called shades of reason bo katan takes part in the plan to deceive mandalore into believing that the death watcher actually heroes fighting the shadow collective so <clears throat> up until this point in the story there's been multiple mandalorian arcs and Satine has constantly reminded the people the death watch are terrorists you know they're they're not to be trusted all that stuff and here they come, uh, and uh, they basically pose as the needed heroes that yeah. Mandalore needs because it's not militarized at all. And so they they make a plan with Maul and Savage to actually commit crimes around the, the planet, around Sindari City. Yeah, with, and, with the new uh, Shadow Collective, I believe it's yeah, called. Yeah, the Shadow Collective. Which yeah. is what Darth Maul had done. He, he went to all of the major crime syndicates and either coerced or killed their leaders and forced them to join his new crew. And so he, he is now top dog of all the crime syndicates, which kind of foreshadows when we see him in the solo movie. But with his new army of, of crime syndicates, he uses that to fake an attack on Mandalore and Death Watch pretends to rescue everyone. So it's essentially a, a false flag event is what it's called. Where you, you pretend to cause a problem to offer a solution and in a false flag event people actually die and stuff there's actually harm and danger that's done but the idea is it's the whole thing is planned both the attack and the solution itself yeah it's that very classic extreme villain plot you know it's like let's kill people and then pretend to save them to actually make ourselves look like heroes like yeah exactly terrible thing to do but uh, but yeah, that's basically what she takes part in because you know she's still with Pre Vizsla at this point, and uh, <clears throat> that's uh, that's the same. Yeah. episode. Uh, I want to point out here though that uh, Death Watch shows up and over th- they rescue everyone, so they take over power and they throw Satine in prison, and yeah. it kind of goes into the next episode as well, which I believe we're about to get into, uh, where. I should wait till you, till you explain this next yeah. one. Then I'll get into so, this point because there's a certain point I want to bring up. That's ridiculous, but go ahead. Oh, okay. All right. 
So Maul and, and Vizsla actually fight in this episode, and, and and Maul comes out on top, cuts Vizsla's head off, claims the Darksaber for himself and Mandalore's rulership, and Bo and her night owls basically rebel against his leadership, and and causes like a, a basically a fracture, like a split, almost down the middle, maybe. Um, and some of the Mandalorians disagree with Maul's leadership, and then the other ones actually stay with him. So now there's like half of the death watch yeah. basically is against the other half and it causes like a civil war to happen on Mandalore. Yeah, and the reason why this happens is there's actually an old law in Mandalore where they follow the strongest. So what Maul did was he challenged Pre Vizsla to one, one-on-one combat essentially for the throne. So whoever wins is supposed to become the new Mandalore. That's how it works because of warrior yeah. culture, only the strongest will rule. So because Maul beats Pre Vizsla, he technically is the new leader of Mandalore, but mm. uh, Bo-Katan and several others say, well, he's not Mandalorian, so it doesn't count. And so yeah, that's, that, that's why there's it, a split. In that scene, she calls him an outsider. She says, yeah. no outsider will ever rule Mandalore. And then she just puts up a big fight. So, yeah, it, it's um, I guess this is her turning point, realizing she's just gotten too too far. Yeah, there's too much corruption involved. Yeah, yeah. She realizes that she's just been on the wrong side, you know. Um, so that gets into the next episode. I want to point out because what happens after that is Maul goes and he reinstates the previous uh, prime minister who was arrested for being corrupt and like poisoning oh, all, 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 Mac, all Mac, yeah, yeah, for like poisoning children with their with cheap juice, and. Yeah. I'm just watching this arc because it goes so quick. It's two episodes, right? Where the it goes from Satine to Pre Vizsla to back to Al- Almanac, who was previously in power but it was taken out for corruption. The people of Mandalore, each time there's a transition, like, oh, okay, this is what it is now. And they don't question anything. And there's another ruler again, like two days later. <laughs> it's like, how simple can you get? Like, obviously, something's going on. <laughs> It's because they can't they can't do anything about it. Like they're not even they're not militarized. There's like no weapons allowed in the cities. Yeah. Right. Like it's just so helpless. Uh, the scenario. But I partially blame the animators because b- both scenes where the new leadership takes over, it's in the the same area on Mandalore. It must be in front of the Parliament building, and then there's a big crowd of people down below, and the people's faces are always like super happy, like oh this is going to be good. Oh yeah. And then like three days later, then the corrupt prime prime minister takes over and they're like oh yeah this is what it is now what a good day <laughs> just ridiculous <laughs> so the the next episode and the last one in this arc is called the lawless and there's a short story in the the new book called star wars the clone wars stories of light and dark which adapts this episode into a short story of some kind and i believe she's involved in it but in the actual episode that the short story is based on, uh, Bo tries to help Satine escape from prison, which actually fails. And Satine is actually killed by Maul when Obi-Wan arrives to try and save her. And he's lured into a trap. And Bo-Katan helps Obi-Wan escape after that whole thing has been resolved and tells him to tell the, the Republic to uh, about, about the takeover of Maul and all that stuff. And when he says that the Republic will likely uh, invade the planet, uh, Bo-Katan replies that Maul will die and Mandalore will survive because they always do. 
And Obi-Wan realizes that Bo-Katan is the sister of Satine, which he didn't know before. Because I guess there's so much bad family blood going on. I think this but, might be the first time it's revealed to the viewers as well. It is, yeah. It is. It, I think it's always kind of possibly hinted at, but okay. it's not really clear until he finally says, like, you know, Satine was your sister, wasn't she? Yeah. It wasn't, you know, it's so funny because yeah. the, uh, the voice actor, he actually nails it, the line to be exactly the same as when Ewan McGregor is talking to like Natalie Padme. Portman. Yeah. yeah. They're talking to Padme. The pregnancy. Like, yeah. It's like, Anakin's the father, isn't he? I'm so, so sorry. sorry. Yeah, it says the exact same thing to Bo-Katan here. I'm like, oh, that's pretty funny. They yeah, could have just yeah, lifted the clip and put it in. It was really well scripted and then executed as a voice actor as well. I mean, uh, I've said this before, but one of the biggest missed opportunities about some of the lines in the films were not always pinpoint to what they w- could be in you know in the in the original films like like i got anakin a bad says, feeling about this well it's like when anakin <laughs> says to obi-wan like i i uh don't make me kill you like it was it, it's such a a bold line but it was sounds so much better if he said don't make me destroy you because that's the line that vader yeah had. vader did yeah i agree i don't know yeah, why they changed it i don't know why they changed i don't know i mean this george wrote the script but like i mean it's kind of a missed opportunity <laughs> it is that's too bad uh then again he did not write the script for empire strikes back so <laughs> Maybe that's what I mean, he originally wrote, and then he he, he did the uh, yeah. The, the, I mean, he was stand, the way he describes his involvement in those films. By the way, he stood over the shoulders of everybody involved. So it's you know, it, it, I'm sure he still had a lot of was swing. there when that when yeah, I'm sure he oh, read sure. that line yeah. a few times in reviewing the script and whatever else. But uh, yeah, the overall story beats were his and everything like that. And you know, the only reason why I'm pointing that out is because yeah. I'm, I'm thinking most Ir- people, <laughs> Irvin Kershner, like changed it at the last day <laughs> for filming, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or maybe James Earl Jones just just, I mean, just said something else. <laughs> yeah, in the in the voice studio, maybe that could be it. I told George this line. It's a bit awkward. I think I'm going to change it. <laughs> <laughs> that totally could have happened. Yeah. But uh, yeah, anyway, so that's that's the end of... Oh, and the, yeah, so Obi-Wan realizes Bo-Katan is the sister of Satine, gives, him, uh, his, gives his condolences, and then he leaves. And that is actually the last of what we saw in the clone wars up until its cancellation and then yeah we never we never found out what happened after that and then talk about a cliffhanger know, oh yeah totally so what I is mean, with bo-katan and cliffhangers uh, i know right <laughs> so what is it with that katie sacco <laughs> uh, dave what are you doing to us i'm sure i'm sure it drove her nuts you know not not oh, her too yeah she probably oh, has yeah. no idea what's gonna happen yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, she's she's as much a fan as we are. So, hey, Dave, what's going on with my character? Oh, we we killed Joff in the background, <laughs> in between seasons. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're dead. <laughs> um, <laughs> so season seven rolls around, and uh, we get Clone Wars: Dangerous Debt. Is the the Ahsoka arc. And Bo-Katan is seen on Obadiah with some of the Unite Owls in her group. And they are basically just, they see Ahsoka and they end up following and spying on her activities. And then in the Clone Wars Together Again episode, Bo-Katan approaches Ahsoka at the end of the arc and uh, and asks her about helping her take back Mandalore, reaching out to the Jedi for assistance, 
uh, Bo-Katan has knowledge that Maul is back in the system again because it's important to remember that, I mean, this is also in reference to our Maul What Happened episode. Maul has not been constantly on Mandalore. Like at no. the very end of Maul's arc in that in that uh, lawless episode we just talked about, he's captured by Palpatine and taken off world. So there is a period of time that Mandalore is 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 just in chaos with no leadership. Just and, Almanac. Yeah, and Almanac's there. Well, yeah, Almanac is there, I guess. But yeah, it's chaos because there's Mandalorians <laughs> fighting Mandalorians and people don't know what to do. And Yeah, um, a little and, Death uh, Watch thing going on. Yeah, and, and Almanac is just a puppet of, of Maul. And, and Maul is now in prison. And there's that whole arc with the Son of Dathomir comic where he escapes and this and that and whatever else. So there's a, a big chunk of time that goes by until things until he's back on Mandalore again. So that's kind of what's important about that line of, of Bo-Katan actually knowing that Maul is back in the system again, because yeah, he was off world for, for a good chunk of time there. Uh, Uh, Did you notice? Cause I didn't know that Bo-Katan's group was the night owls and Ahsoka has an owl that follows her anywhere. Everywhere around. Yeah. I think that was Dave making a connection or is that just coincidence? I think Dave isn't sharing with us his full list of favorite animals because <laughs> we only know that he's got an obsession with wolves. Yeah. But I think he's 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 keeping the owl one pretty pretty low key. Also, loth cats. He's got a thing with cats too. Yeah. <laughs> cats, dogs, and owls. That's right. But it pretty much covers it all. That's the three food groups. So you got all you need there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we we go to the next episode where it's called clone wars old friends not forgotten bo-katan had been trekking maul for several months and after approaching ahsoka they basically contact obi-wan and anakin meet up with them share some info and ahsoka had been able to obtain some transmission codes from the pikes on obadiah when she was there which she helped pinpoint some of his previous locations and confirm as well that, you know, he's uh, he's back on, on Mandalore. Bo-Katan explains that they know Maul is in the Mandalorian city of Sundari City. And Kenobi warns Bo about Republic occupation and breaking 100-year-old treaties by invading the planet. Because at this point, it's, it's important to remember that while the Clone Wars is raging on, Mandalore has chosen to remain neutral based on Satine's decisions, right? And now she's gone. And yet those decisions are still in place because the new leader is Maul slash Almag, and they're not in touch with the Republic. They're not in touch with the, the Seppies or anything like that. They're kind of doing their own thing. But it's just a planet sitting there on the side of the war, just rotting in chaos, you know. And so it's kind of a crazy time. And, and, and Kenobi's like, well, we got this big, like massive war going on. Like, I mean, we can't just come over there and, you know, wreak havoc guns a-blazing and take yeah. your planet under Republic occupation. Because they don't have the troops at this point, I wouldn't think. They're spread pretty thin. And this is very close to uh, the assault on Coruscant. Yeah, it's very close. It's it's right before Obi-Wan and Anakin pack up and leave to go rescue the Chancellor. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's an interesting time because he's like, well, not only do we not have the resources to help, but as much as they would like to, but uh, you're kind of not part of the Republic. So it's true. Sh- should we, should we care? Right. And that's, that's a big deal for Ahsoka because she's like all about helping people in need now 
that she's not part of the Jedi. She doesn't have this code or these these responsibilities being thrown at her yeah. kind of thing. And she's realized that, you know, we, we got into that in the Ahsoka What Happened episode as well, that uh, she's more all about helping people now rather than going where the, the river flows kind of thing. Just following the code. Yeah, where the, where the council points or demands or whatever, right? And so even though they're not part of the Republic, like she has this obligation. She feels this like strong need to help Bo-Katan and, and the, the night owls take back their world. So Anakin gifts her half of the 501st and Rex and everything. And they team up with Bo-Katan and launch an assault on the planet. And uh, Bo-Katan even fights with Almac hand-to-hand combat and subdues him in this episode as well. That was a really good episode. Like that was a, like, that was the kickstart to the finale arc of the Clone yeah, Wars. Yeah, it was. And I did not know that Almec could even fight. I know. And <laughs> it was actually pretty sweet to see him fully dressed in armor. Like it was a yeah. really short fight, but for like an older guy, like it just, to me, I was like, oh, wow. Like this is a Mandalorian right here. I mean, he's like a, maybe a 70, 60 something year old guy, maybe. Yeah. Or- and everything we've seen up to that point, he's wearing Greek robes. He doesn't even wear pants. Right. So you yeah. think... He'd be pretty unfit, kind of a decrepit old man. I'm pretty sure he wears pants, though. <laughs> nope. Robes only. <laughs> so he's he's free-flowing fl- free under there, man. It's quite, style. quite comfortable. Yeah, embracing the ways of the Scottish. That's right. <laughs> yeah, his, even his armor, though, when we see it here, it's, it's very Roman in its design. It says like, a lot yeah. of like gold etching on it. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty cool, actually. Like, just the way that he's got his, his, I don't know, just even just to have a suit like that in this day and age, maybe he just has a new one made, or maybe it was his from, from, or his family's from years ago or something. Uh, I love that there's so much diversity now in the Mandalorian armor, you know, just. Yeah, instead of everyone being a Boba Fett. Yeah, because of course it was a. it was either a Death Watch thing or just the, the fact that they had very few models to work with on the show, the Clone Wars, that is. But the fact that they've now confirmed through the Mandalorian that everyone has the ability to customize their armor how they like. Well, that's, I like that a lot. I'm glad that they cool. went that way because that's what it was originally in the yeah. novels. Right. You know, the Karen Travis novels. Yeah. And, and, and it adds so much more um, to the culture, you know, just to have that individuality yeah the individual because their their armor their their helmet is their face like that yeah like that's well that's to some of them who never take it off you know that's that's kind of the whole look that they're going for right yeah it's funny though that the ones that are unique we also learn are less unique than we thought because for a long time Bo-Katan was the only one who had this very like Greek sort of look to her helmet just the she has like a nose guard yeah. And then Sabine has the same one, and her all the female her sidekick in Mandalorian has one as well. Yeah, and Sabine's Sabine's uh, mom uh, as well uh, has has the um, that visor. It, it's, yeah. I think it's common amongst the, the 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 feminine warriors of like the Mandalorian. Uh, no, that makes sense. Culture. Yeah, it seems to be a because you consistent. can't really tell anything with a helmet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's just a way to kind of for them to stick out a little more, I guess. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but um, it just seems to me that any time that 
that a woman character or a female has showed up in, in Mandalorian armor, they've had that that visor. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just a consistency thing, I guess. But so <clears throat> two more episodes of Clone Wars, and then we'll have you uh, start chatting about Rebels and Mandalorian here. So Clone Wars, uh, the Phantom Apprentice, Bo aids in the war effort, questions Almac, um, and uh, he's actually assassinated by Gar Saxon. And Gar Saxon's a character that shows up in in Rebels later on, but he's actually working for Maul and Maul's side of the the war at this point. And she actually Bo Katan chases down Gar Saxon, has a fight with him, but he actually gets away. And uh, later on, she worries about the occupation and and sees the people suffering because of what's going on, and also helps capture Maul in this episode after Ahsoka has her fight with with Darth Maul above the like on the rafters of the city or whatever. And in the last episode that we see her in the Clone Wars is called Shattered. And uh, Bo admits that she never understood Satine's idealism in this moment, uh, where the, one of the last moments we see her, which is at the beginning of the episode. And uh, bo and Ursa Wren, which is actually Sabine's mother, uh, who is one of the night owls of bo clan, or her group, I guess, not clan, escort Maul in an encased force-proof capsule to the Republic cruiser. And this capsule is the last one in existence because according to Satine, uh, sorry, according to uh, Bo-Katan, her sister Satine uh, outlawed all of them. They were all destroyed um, along with many other things, probably of their warrior culture. But uh, there was one kept and uh, this one is used to escort Maul to the cruiser, which is, I thought it was interesting that the Mandalorians made a force-proof capsule. And, it makes uh, sense, because the old Mandalorian wars, they were fighting against the Jedi. Yeah, like, and, and, and Bo-Katan describes it as something that they used to, to subdue the, the force maniacs that were running around. She kind of throws it at, at uh, Ahsoka as a bit of a joke, but, you know, it's actually like that was what it was used for, was yeah. imprisoning, imprisoning Jedi and stuff. Honestly, I really want them to make a movie in that time period. We actually get the Mandalorian Wars. Wars the Mandalorians fighting yeah. the Republic and the Jedi, but the Mandalorians were being ma- manipulated by the Sith. It's a pretty yeah, interesting time old, period. Oh man, the Old Republic in general, just such a such a great era, you know. And and I hope once this whole New Republic and High Republic eras are taken care of, that they do end up going back there to. to I hope so that. too. I think yeah. they're going to step on a lot of toes and annoy bother a lot of fans of the. The tour online series, probably. As long as they don't get rid of Kotor, I'm good. <laughs> Just keep revving. That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So that is the last time that we see Bo-Katan in the Clone Wars, which uh, then leads to Star Wars Rebels. Yeah, and there's obviously a lot that happens in the time gap that they really don't get into. Which is kind of right. unfortunate Actually. because we pick up where Mandalore has been entirely taken over by the Imperials. And any Mandalorians that are not under Imperial occupation are kind of in hiding on the planet. Yeah. And the Empire is actually trying to exterminate them and harvest their Beskar. <laughs> As Sabine points out, that their planet is so desolate because it's just no war for too many years. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the reason why actually the Mandalorians live in these bubble cities. 
because the rest of the planet or the majority of the planet is just inhabitable. Yeah. Like it's just so war scorn. And I think it's a reference to a legend's story of some kind where the planet was bombarded. Yeah. By, space. By, that's, yeah. That's the Mandalorian Wars as well. That was what Revan did when he was leader of the Republic. Yeah, so I think they took that and ran with it for a descriptor of the planet, and and that's why and, Sindari City is just this bubble. Everyone I, lives underground. Didn't you point out at one point that they showed Mandalore from space, and there was like physical damage you could see on the yep. planet? Yeah, there was. Uh, there's like definitely chunks, and well, just big gouges, kind of spotches. Yeah, yeah. So almost like giant meteor craters, but basically like, just looks like a less cratered moon. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, you can tell something happened for sure. But yeah. So I mean they gotta get into that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, keep keep going. So we finally catch up to Boktan uh pretty late in in Rebels. I think it's actually season four. So we don't really see anything about her at all to this point. But there is a missing story pre where she shows up because along the way Sabine actually gets the dark saber. She finds it in, in Darth Maul's altar, I believe. Yeah, this was an episode that uh yeah, that that happened with the rebels crew. I think in season 3, I believe it was. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Sabine ends up with the dark saber, which is really important because that really plays into what happens with with Bo-Katan. So Bo-Katan shows up to help Sabine Wren rescue her father from the Empire. And in the process, uh, the Empire reveals a new weapon that is a prototype. And it's revealed that uh, Sabine actually had designed it. And this weapon uses the Mandalorian's own armor to kill them, but has no effect on any other troops. So what it essentially does is it just sends out a, a, like bolts of electricity that are attracted to Beskar and nothing else and it instantly vaporizes any organic material within the armor and leaves the Beskar completely fine so I guess Sabine had created this just as a just to see if she could when she was part of the Empire but then when she found out the Empire was actually going to build it she sabotaged all the designs so they couldn't or so she thought and they managed to rebuild it but not at full capacity and so, needless to say, all the other Mandalorians are very upset with Sabine at this point. <laughs> uh, Sabine and Bo-Katan uh, then decide they're going to infiltrate into the Imperial uh, engineering firm and blow up the prototype and delete the designs and the research of the weapon. Uh, Sabine wants to turn the machine against the Empire to use a use it on stormtrooper armor only so it won't kill anyone but the empire but bo convinces her not saying it would not be honorable and make them no better than the empire so i think this is an important point for bo where it actually is showing that even though she is still a warrior mandalorian warrior she does have honor and i think that actually is a, yeah. a pretty kind of showing the direction of the arc from when we met her where she was essentially a terrorist yeah it's a good point like she starts off in such a different place and now at this point in the story it's just she's just done a complete 180 and you yeah know. i think it's, it's 
I mean, she's been through a lot, especially her planet. We've seen it be yeah. taken over by corruption and Sith and really you name it. And, and this so, is also, this is also, uh, I mean, between the Clone Wars and Rebels, this is around 16 to 16 to 17 ish years, I would say, after the Clone Wars happened. So she's also aged quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And through that entire time, I've been seeing her people being exterminated on, Ma- on Mandalore by the Empire. Yeah. After being pacifists. So they're probably all unarmed and the Empire just comes in and starts wiping them all out. And so those that were able to get away went back to the tr- traditional ways because they didn't have a choice. Right. So that's pretty – It's and it's just interesting how it all kind of works out. So I think from where we first see her, she's very hungry for adventure and for fighting – at this yeah, point, she's, she's hungry for blood. Yeah. At the, when we meet her, and at this point, I think she's realized that that's kind of a on a it's it's a goal that is going to lead nowhere. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think she's finally kind of adopted some of what Satine was going after. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I'm trying to pronounce Satine over Sabine. They're so close. Yeah. <laughs> so similar. But yeah, I, I think she's finally kind of because it, mm-hmm. where we leave her her character off in the Clone Wars is that that's why I added that in is that she admits she never stood Satine's idealism, right? But now, I mean, you flash forward like 17 odd years or so, and I think she has begun to realize what that idealism was about, except Satine was a very extreme go-getter after being a pacifist, right? So I think it's all about that Star Wars principle about finding the balance. Yeah. And I think Bo-Katan has realized, no, we do have to stick up for ourselves, yeah. but we don't need to be as bad as our enemy. Like, we don't need to be them, basically. Otherwise, we're no better than what we're fighting. So No, it's so true. And it is all about balance. Yeah. The Bendu. Yeah. The Bendu. <laughs> 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 okay, so back to the story of this this episode. Bo-Katan and Sabine they, they successfully blow up the the, the man or the uh, Imperial facility and destroy the plans, and are returning to their base. All of the different Mandalorian clans decide to swear their allegiance to Bo-Katan, believing that she is the proper ruler of Mandalore. A lot of them are already thinking this because she is the sister to Satine. And the rest of them, after seeing what she's been doing to try to save Mandalore through all through the many years of the Empire, they all swear allegiance, and Sabine gives her the Darksaber. And I think is at this point where... No, I guess it's been happening through Clone Wars as well. The Darksaber itself has, has become uh, kind of a, a symbol to, to the person who is Mandalore, who is the leader of the Mandalorians. And so Sabine gifts that to Bo-Katan, kind of like finalizing the everyone swearing allegiance and her be, becoming the new Mandalore. Yeah. So this to me is the biggest... A weird gap that happens because mm. we don't see her again from this point until we meet her in Mandalorian. And by then, she again is missing the dark saber. 
Yeah, and this is uh, so Rebels where we leave her off. This is um, I would say uh, about well, th- what was the episode? Was that was that season season four? Th- season four, episode one and two. Yeah. Or okay. yes, the first two. Okay, so so yeah, so season four of Rebels, I think, takes place like two ish years before A New Hope and Rogue One. So if you add in that two years or so, roughly, whatever it is, plus the amount of time in the original trilogy, which is uh, which is about five years, I think, or four, four years or so. I don't know. Uh, it's around there. Yeah. I think, I th- yeah. This three Maybe a few between. More. It's three between four and five, and then one between five and six. So like four years, and then you add in the five years gap between. Return of the Jedi and the Mandalorian season one, you know, we're looking at another roughly 10 years or so that we haven't seen her. Right. Yeah. So another big time gap where, you know, stuff's happened. And you're talking about Moff Gideon, what he was talking about with the eradication of the Mandalorians. We don't know if that was before the rebels arc or after. Right, yeah, we don't know if it's before or after, but we do know that uh, his involvement with getting the Darksaber would have been after. after what we see in Rebels, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that the events could have done a bit of an overlap and, and you know, who yeah. knows, right? there's definitely a story to be told there. I'm quite curious yeah. what happened. Yeah, for sure. So in Mandalorian, it's chapter 11 that we've, we meet Bo-Katan at last in live action. Very exciting. A lot of us are looking forward to that. Big moment, yep. So Mando is on Trask searching for Mandalorians after getting a tip. He gets duped by some pirates who are about to kill Baby Yoda or Grogu. Uh, about to kill uh, Grogu and him. When Bo-Katan and some Mandos show up and rescue them. Bo-Katan agrees to help Mando find a Jedi to train Grogu, but requires aid herself. Mando agrees, and the group infiltrate an Imperial transport, killing the crew and commandeering their cargo, which was all blast rifles that Bo-Katan was looking to use to continue to fight back a Mandalore and arm some of the Mandalorians. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bo-Katan interrogates the captain of the ship, and where to find Moff Gideon to recover her lost Darksaber. So this is, I guess, where it's really revealed that the Darksaber has been taken from her. Because I think it's kind of foreshadowed a bit. It says She says that Moff Gideon is taking from something from her, but she doesn't say what it is. And we never see her with it, so... Yeah, because she questions one of the... One, yeah, she questions, like, the, the captain or whatever yeah. like, on, the, on the ship and... But yeah, I mean, obviously, if you watch everything chronologically, like it's very apparent that when she shows up, she's not, she doesn't have. She doesn't the sword have it, anymore. yeah, yeah. And that actually makes even more sense because a lot of people were wondering how, why Gideon had the dark saber because it was already revealed that he has it. Yeah, it was. Right. It was. It was uh, revealed in the season one finale. Yeah, season yeah. one finale, like the after credit scene. Yeah. So it was a bit of a tease there. Yeah, so while we waited for season two, a lot of people speculated that that we would get Bo-Katan showing up, or uh, and you know at this point there were the live action Ahsoka rumors, and yeah, a, so, a lot of people probably thought she was dead, and that's why Gideon had it. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, you know, a lot of people could have thought that as well, and 
And uh, th- there's so many questions still as to what actually happened that he got the dark saber because he would basically have to have bested her to get that. Because well, no I mean they're Imperials, so yeah, somehow. Well, that being said, because of what we learn in the the next episode where the dark saber has to be won in combat, that means that he probably did beat her because she can't just be gifted it back, right? Yeah, he's look. Yeah, because she exactly because when when she and I mean sorry, this is going into your next episode here, but uh, but yeah, when she goes to fight G- Gideon with you know she goes with Boba and Dinjarin <laughs> and you know the the rest of the crew to rescue Grogu, uh, he uh, she insists on being the one to yeah fight. She Gideon, was very right? persistent on that. Yeah, so I'm almost convinced that they must have dueled it out at some point and that she lost. It's the only thing that makes sense, or else why would she be yeah. okay with Sabine gifting her the Darksaber previously, but now she can't? Yeah, exactly. And, so, and not to say that he won it ethically, but mm-hmm. I think that she's insistent on winning it back the right way because yeah. she's now a little more... Well, she needs to prove herself to the other Mandalorians. She needs to, and yeah, that, and she, I think she needs to prove it to herself as well, because when she takes the sword from Sabine, you know, she does it in the presence of all the leaders of Mandalore at the time, all the clan, the clan heads and, and stuff like that. And she also does it with the oath that she takes on behalf of her sister Satine, right? So I think she's got a lot to live up to while taking back this, this darksaber, you know, she wants to do it from the the most truest part of her heart which feels as if she has to earn it right yeah it makes sense yeah especially like what we just learned about her in the rebels episode she carries a lot of honor right yeah and so if she doesn't win it honorably then it's it's just it's false it's not it's not true so the last time we see her is in mandalorian chapter 16 it's the final episode of season two and Mando has found the location of Moff Gideon and invites Bo-Katan to help him rescue Grogu, help rescue Grogu from him. <laughs> uh, she agrees, but says that Gideon is hers and hers alone. And the three and Fett create a ruse posing as a distressed Imperial shuttle that needs a, a temporary uh, emergency landing on Gideon's ship. With the Slave One firing at them, once aboard, the Mandalorians quickly start clearing the ship of troops and make their way to the bridge. Mando breaks off and goes to the brig to save Grogu. When the team arrives at the bridge, they're surprised to find Moff Gideon isn't there. Instead, he is in the brig with Grogu. Mando's, Ma- Mando is forced to, to defend himself against Gideon and beats him into submission, but, but leaving Gideon alive. Arriving at the bridge with Grogu in one hand and the Darksaber in the other, Bo-Katan is taken aback. Gideon laughs and points uh, points out that Mando is now the true owner of the Darksaber and thus Mandalore. Mando tries to give Bo-Katan the saber, but due to honor, is unable to take it, thus leaving Mando as Mandalore unless they fight. Before a result can be reached, the Imperial Dark Troopers show up uh, to kill them, and they are saved by Luke Skywalker leaving the mystery of Bo-Katan, Mando, and the Darksaber up in the air. Yeah, well said. So uh, I think one of the biggest things about this whole Darksaber ownership thing, a lot of stuff going online about this, people saying, well, she took it from 
Sabine. So why couldn't she take it from yeah. Din Djarin, right? But I mean, personally, I've always thought it's it all comes down to just that honor part of her that she just needs to like earn it back because yeah. it was taken from her like that. I think it also depends a lot on how it was taken because if yeah. Moff Gideon beat her in a duel that was actually one-on-one combat and he won it, she can't just be gifted it back because that's right. totally false yeah. because yeah. Mandalor- Mandalorian culture is supposed to be the strongest rule. And that's why I keep thinking to myself, I think there was a duel between the two of them. Yeah, I think so too. It's the only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah, Because if he had stolen it, she wouldn't care if it was gifted back. Right. Yeah. Or, I mean, maybe maybe some explosion went off and it flew out of her hand. And you know, uh, Even he, then, like, even then, why would she be not okay with getting it back? Right. And that's what I meant about the unethical fight. Like, maybe something went happened that he got it somehow, but she wasn't necessarily bested in a sword duel of any kind or, or whatever, right? Like, maybe something like that. But, I think it would um, be more like a, a duel that went honorably at first and then he did something schemey you know like a yeah. toe blaster or something yeah something like that yeah exactly so i mean knowing moff gideon now that we've seen him uh fighting dinjarin and stuff i can imagine yeah. that being a thing right? yeah he's like very he's schemey right or he just says very, like come yeah. just take the child and leave and yeah. then you turn Matt turns his back and tries to stab him. Yeah. Yeah. Literally try to stab him in the back. So and he's, um, yeah. And the, it's funny because he's, he is part of the, like the secret service of the empire. So it's kind of like, he's yeah. like a, like a CIA or an FBI agent. Like, yeah, go for it. And then tries to like stab you in the back and you're like, turn around. Yeah, sneaky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, what do we, I mean, and now, and now we're left with the question of like, what's what's going to happen with yeah. this character, with the sword, all that stuff? Because there's a rumor that says that there will be a time jump between season three and two, or se- between season two and three. Yeah, um, that's the rumor. All right, that's not 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 confirmed or anything like that. I've just seen that floating around. Everywhere. It could be Mando. He he completed his mission of finding a Jedi Master for Grogu. So they they could if they wanted. They don't have to pick up where they left off. Yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 for sure a possibility. And then if they end up doing that, does that just mean that Bo-Katan decided to just pack up and leave and like yeah, know, go back to where she came from without the sword that she's been seems fighting Seems pretty so unlikely. If you just see her facial reaction... To Mando holding the sword, she's not going to give up on that very easily. No, she's a little let down at that. Yeah, like she was, she looked very distraught. Like she's, she looked like she was unhappy that now she has to kill him. That's what her face looked like. It did look like that. Yeah, but then also she didn't want to kill him because yeah, they're he's an honor. Yeah, exactly. And he's an honorable guy. He just he just pretty much turns it off and gives it to her. Like he doesn't even care about the sword. He's just like here, take it. Like I don't care about. I don't want it. And but he because he's not part of that Mandalorian culture, he's part of the the cultists, uh, the, the, the cult <laughs> yeah. group, the way, the way, right? The yeah. ones that follow the way. Well, they call themselves like the, the washers story. or something. The yeah, the the man, yeah, it was the not the watchmen, but like the the night, the night watchers or. Yeah, I don't know. That's Game uh, yeah, of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the watchers on the wall. That's, that's it. 
<laughs> no, yeah, he was, he was a part of that group though, right? Yeah, and uh, and but yeah, so he doesn't know he doesn't even know the significance of this sword, right? Yeah, not at all. And and he couldn't care less. He's like, here, take it. But she doesn't want to take it because you know she's got to earn it. So uh, yeah, yeah it's very, pose and- I wonder though if this was. So you know the old Boba Fett novels. Yeah, he inadvertently becomes the leader of Mandalore and gets right, the title yeah. of Mandalore. So I wonder if what they're going to do is just take that exact storyline, but instead of it being Boba Fett, it's going to be Din Djarin. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a, a good possibility that, and and more and more now that we've seen him taking his helmet off, he's falling away from the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the way. <laughs> he keeps on, he keeps on doing things, and, and this came up with his character quite a bit with season two, and uh, just the the beliefs that yeah. he follows and stuff, and B- Bill Ben, uh, Bill Burr, Bill Burr's character. He he uh, he asks him. He just grills him about his helmet. Yeah, because he really points out, like, is it that people can't see your face, or is it you can't take off your helmet? Yeah, 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 exactly. And and he's like, well, like, do people even? Yeah, you know, like, why should you care, right? Like, I mean, so he, I don't know. He's got his he's got his big spiel that he goes on, but I think it leaves a lot of doubt in Dinjarin's head as to like, yeah, like, yeah, why? Well, know, why does? I still think what's going to happen, and I thought it was going to happen in the finale of season two, but it didn't, is when Mando got his face scanned for the approval on that computer, I mm-hmm. bet that data wasn't stored there. It's probably on like the whole network, right? Yeah. So they probably have, a, the Empire has a facial scan of his face, and I think they're going to post it like across the entire yeah. galaxy, and that's going to really blow his... I didn't show my face thing out of the water. Right. Yeah. Maybe, so maybe he'll be forced to put the helmet back on again. No, well, it's not like technically he'll be kicked out of his group. Unless they just don't know what he looks like. Well, they're going to know it's him and not his name on it. Like, I feel like that's a story point. They're, they're going to eventually. Yeah, yeah it's, it's possible. It's possible. Um, that being said, most of their clan is dead except for the blacksmith. So maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, yeah, uh, what's her name? The, the, not the mechanic. She's got a name. The armorer. Armorer, that's it. The armorer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Viking lady. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so with, with Bo-Katan, I mean, that's, that's the full story. That's, uh, beginning to end all her appearances through Star Wars. And, and, uh, I mean, there's a good chance we'll see her in Mandalorian season three, but do you think that we're going to get appearances of her in possibly Book of Boba Fett? Yeah, it's, or, or I think I think for sure Ahsoka because there's already a connection there, and I wouldn't be surprised at all about Book of Boba Fett because they'll probably have all the Mandalorians in that at some one point or another. Mm. It's interesting, like how all these shows are going to tie together. You know, like I'm very curious, and this is obviously thinking a whole season away on three different accounts because, of course, we'll have Ahsoka, Mando, Rangers of the New Republic, and the Book of Boba. Wait, did I say that one already? No. Ahsoka, Mando, Book of Boba Fett, and Rangers of the New Republic. The four shows. The four shows are all going to merge into one. What? Kathleen Kennedy re- re- described as a cinematic conclusion. Kind of, yeah, almost an Avengers-like con- conclusion. Yeah, so I can picture it being kind of like how Marvel did their their 
their Netflix shows. Like we had Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and uh, and even Punisher and stuff. But then we all kind of like had this merger show called The Defenders, which kind of threw them all together in this one mini series, right? So I, maybe we'll get something like that going on, or maybe we'll even have something one step up from that. Maybe we'll actually get a movie. I like think that's movie. the way she worded it. It sounded like a movie. Yeah, which begs the question, if it's going to be a Star Wars movie like that, you know, like what kind of things can we expect from this movie? You know, it's because it'll be the first movie to take place in the New Republic era, right? Like, I don't know. A lot of people yeah. are thinking Heir to the Empire, like cinematic style. That'd like be cool. Heir to the Empire. What yeah. if, because, you know, what if the it's a big lead up and then in the final movie they go in this they go to the place between spaces and they change the course of history so the sequel trilogy never happens <laughs> you bring that up every time <laughs> yeah man you set it up <laughs> i could be talking about the gobi desert and somehow you find a way to bring it up <laughs> I just think that'd be funny, <laughs> but no, like actually though the, that that whole world between worlds place though that that popped up in Rebels for anyone it's, listening, it's in the Ahsoka no design, which is weird. Yeah, it is. It is. So so it's a possibility that we might be filled in on some of this some of this spiritual journey that she was supposedly been on, like in that whole gap of time that we didn't see her after Star Wars Rebels finale season two up until the flash forward scene where we see her post return looking of the Jedi. for Ezra yeah looking for Ezra and stuff so I mean what what's gonna happen there no idea uh but I mean it's interesting to like going through all these characters talking about them one by one uh it, it's crazy to think how much content's coming our way as far yeah. as like live action Star Wars goes we've honestly it's had its ups and downs of course there's things that we've liked and disliked as the years have gone by since since the Disney merger but I mean, I feel like in general, as fans, we've just been spoiled with this plentiful oh, kind sure. of like. And I yeah. think we're really starting to hit our groove too. Like, I think Disney has learned from the mistakes that they've made, and they're yeah. they're moving forward with stuff that's uh, the fans are liking a lot more, more in tune yeah, with. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and for sure. the the quality seems to just be getting better and better. So it it is, yeah, and and you know and. I know we, we've we've already covered so much about this this new era that they're building, the High Republic. But uh, even with that, which they're doing in a very safe manner, keeping it to strictly literature and comics and all that, right? And then eventually they'll get to doing a show, the Acolyte. But it's it's nice to for them to take those early steps because you know going out into open waters like that it's like there's no content they're basing anything off of there is the legends the eu stuff that they could kind of reference from but if they're not building off that then what are they doing with the sequel trilogy they just went kind of balls to the wall and just freaking made them yeah there's a huge time gap and they just kind of made it up as they went along Exactly. It's a whole new era. In fact, it's two eras according to their new timeline. You know, this is the New Republic yeah. era. They've called that a whole separate era, the rise of the First Order. And and it's like they didn't plan, pre-plan anything. They just did movie to movie to movie. And I think they've learned their lesson. At yeah, this point. it's funny because they are approaching this new, new era the, in the pre-prequel era. You know, yeah. the entirely the opposite way. 
yeah. they did the sequels. It's a totally one eighty. And I do yeah. kind of get that because when they made the sequels, there was all this hype around it. You know, they're, they're making a sequel to a movie that came out forty years ago. Yeah, and so they were very tight lipped, and they didn't say anything about what what was the galaxy like at that point at all until the movie came out. No one had any idea. Right. And yeah, now yeah. they're putting all these books out. So they're kind of giving everyone a taste of a little more understanding of what is actually happening. And then they're going to lead into a movie. Yeah. And, and it's nice to, to see them do that with a brand new era, like the high Republic. I mean, an era that like this one, like the new Republic though, with the Mandalorian and all these other shows, it's, it's got so much previous content from the previous era to, to kind of build off of. And that's something that the sequels didn't really have. Like they, they went, this huge time gap and then decided not even to to base any of the plot off of the previous films at all like they just decided to do something completely different yeah so whereas with these shows like they're so heavily ingrained with the animated series and with the films i mean you know we had young luke skywalker show up at the end of season two mandalorian like that's that was an unbelievable experience like to that see was on so screen, cool you know? yeah i'm so glad i, they I decided jumped to out do of that. my seat when i saw that i was i was blown away yeah, a lot of us at this point didn't believe it would ever happen exactly a lot of us were like i mean i i personally i i never once saw it coming i mean i was enjoying mandalorian so much up until that episode and then i saw that episode and it just doubled my experience i was like this has now single-handedly become one of the best things that they've done in the last... Oh, yeah. You know, I agree entirely. X amount of years or whatever it's been. So Even though uh, it looked a bit rushed in quality, like... Yeah. Oh, I'm I, just, couldn't, I'm, I didn't I'm care. so happy was, they just did it. Yeah. I was so happy about it. I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just stoked that we got that in the first place. Like, whether or not we see that again... At least we saw it. Like it was, it was something that I didn't expect and and uh, didn't know I wanted. And well, I mean, I wanted that stuff, but I yeah. didn't know I wanted it in this show, right? And it also left so. me feeling kind of bad about Luke because he's got to take care of this toddler for the next four hundred years. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I mean, okay, so I read the Rise of Kylo Ren comic book, mm -hmm. and you know, a bit of a spoiler there, but Grogu's not a part of the Jedi Temple. His thing going on at that time. So something's gonna happen to Grogu between between the sequel trilogy and and this show, and uh, characters like Bo-Katan and stuff. I mean, she would be like well over into her seventies or something like that by the time of of uh, of the sequel trilogy as well. So you know, it's, it's tough to say where some of these characters are gonna end up. You know, we had Captain Rex turn up in Return of the Jedi, so. Stranger things have happened. Well, and that's a guy with the age acceleration too. So I mean, exactly, he's, he's got the he would short have been end of his in stick. his seventies on the health side. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, oh, that, okay, that's another thing. Will we get Tamora Morrison back as Captain Rex? Not, you know, I mean, Tamora uh, Morrison's back as Boba, right? But like, it, will he play, play old, old, Rex. Old, old Rex or something? Right? Like, are that, we going to see that? That happen? would be interesting. Because the Rex that we get in in the Rebel show is really fat. <laughs> He's a bigger guy. He's so, a bigger guy. Could you imagine the, just the being Tamara Morrison and having to go back and forth between Rip Boba Fett and, and Fat Rex? <laughs> Doing two shows. I, I, honestly, after seeing Endgame and what Chris Hemsworth did with his body suit. Yeah, yeah like, I'm big body suit. They, could, they sure, can do but. it. They could do it for sure. And, and he's not even that big of a guy. Like, I mean, 
Uh, his like, belly, he had to t- Rex had to take out the bottom half of his armor so his belly could hang out. It didn't oh, that's fit right. Yeah, that's right. It was like a, grand, a grandpa. Yeah. A grandpa belly. He had, a, yeah, he had yeah. like a bigger belly going on. Right, right. Yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, like that'll be interesting. That would be really funny to see because, of course, um, I, actually, I was, I was watching a movie earlier today. I was watching Speed 2. Because I watched Speed to a uh, Speed with Keanu Reeves earlier this week, Sandra Bullock, you know, great movie, and so I decided to watch the uh, the sad sequel, which nobody likes, and uh, Sandra Bullock's in it, Keanu Reeves not, somebody else, you know, came in, plays a different character to replace him, but Tamara Morrison's actually in this movie oh, as um, as the captain or the the uh, the first officer of a, a cruise line ship, right? <laughs> And he's a pretty young I guy. I didn't know that was him. Because I, I watched that movie so long ago. 1997. This is, what is that? Five years before Attack of the Clones came out. So it's around the same time that, you know, he, he looks young and almost looks as young as he did in Attack of the Clones, which they intentionally put fake scars on his face and everything like that, right? But uh, he's a young guy in that film. So yeah, I mean, but he plays a very different character. Like you, you just don't recognize him as the grizzled, fat person that he plays in Star Wars. So I feel like for him to play Captain Rex as like this old kind of clone with a bit of old man, you know, happy mm-hmm. jiggle about him, it would be yeah, funny he's to see. Jolly. Yeah, he's pretty jolly as Rex uh, as an older age guy, and you know, still still battle scored, uh, but. He's still got that old man vibe about him, which is very friendly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it would be cool to see him play a character like that. It'd be neat. I'd like if they did it. They'd have to make him look older than he is, I guess, because Boba Fett never had the gene acceleration. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, he's unaltered. So uh, it, they would have to age him more than what he yeah. is as Boba Fett. Right. Man, talk about getting the perfect role because you get to play oh, like yeah. a million yeah. characters. <laughs> I know, man. right? I know. <laughs> so, man, just the paychecks that are inbound if you play that guy. Oh, man. And after all this time, I'm sure anyone who who was fairly iffy or, or critical or anything when the special editions came out about Tamora Morrison replacing the original, uh, you know, Jeremy Bullock's voice as Boba Fett. Uh, you know, at least it's a continuity standpoint now because we see him after the original trilogy at this point again. So, yeah. you know, I'm really happy that George Forward thought, you know, about that kind of thing and how cool it was to. It's a it's a missed opportunity, honestly, that we didn't get Hayden as a Force Ghost in the sequels because that was also something that was set up that could have been continued and just wasn't taken advantage of. So, I mean, it, you know, all these little things. It's like, at least they're. Again, fixing well, that mistake, and they're bringing him into the Kenobi series. Well, it's, I mean, yeah, it is funny because they they swapped out Force Ghost Anakin to be Hayden Christensen, mm-hmm. and then they didn't use Force Ghost Hayden Christensen in the sequels. <laughs> but yeah, they, it was already well, set up to do it. Exactly, that's what I mean. I mean, yeah. like the, like it, George set it up being a forward thinker, and then when it came down to that, carrying on the torch scenario they just didn't carry on the torch in that regard so it's nice though i mean to get back to what you're saying about how this is a new trajectory for a lot of this star wars disney content i mean they did a full 180 with not only planning how they're doing these stories 
but taking consistency and like actually doing something about it. Yeah. So things like recasting or not recasting Boba Fett again, or just using Tamora Morrison as that character or, um, or, or bringing Hayden in to play Darth Vader in Kenobi. They didn't do that for Rogue One, but now they're doing it. Right. So what's the deal? I mean, like they're just, are they just, because they could have chosen the guy to play that played him in Rogue One, right? Like, why didn't they ask Hayden to do it in Rogue One? It, well, it was because it was a couple of years ago. They hadn't learned from their mistakes yet. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think the Rogue One one part was it was difficult though, just because they wanted someone of with David Prowse's build. They did. Yeah, they did. So I mean, it wasn't work. really that inconsistent, really. <laughs> no, I, I get, I guess so. I mean, I don't know how clunky the costume was for Hayden to do in *Revenge of the Sith*, but that was him in the costume in *Revenge yeah. of the Sith*. The difference it, was the it camera was angles. Him. It was also him in *Empire Strikes Back* in the reshoots because they did some reshoots for the the scenes where they put in Palps's face into the the hologram where they replaced the the crazy monkey face, right? <laughs> I didn't know that was Hayden in there. Yeah, and um, it was it was Hayden kneeling at the foot of uh, of the hologram in that yeah. in that big in that big room and stuff. So, yeah, I mean he's he's definitely been in the Vader costume enough to um, to have earned that position. But um, I was surprised I, that they did. I just wonder if it's that. a height thing because David Prowse is so tall and he has such a wide shoulder build. That's the only thing I can think of. Ben. Yeah, it, it, it's possible uh, that that's the case. I mean, uh, maybe they, I don't know, may, maybe they were thinking about uh, the the scene where he goes down the the hallway or, or, or something like that. But then again, that was a whole reshoots thing. So, and he's also demasked when he's in Vader's temple and he's in the back. The yeah, that, like, part, that part they definitely could have done Hayden. Is yeah, it, when, definitely. When Vader is full suited, I'm right. not sure if it would look quite the same just because he is a lot skinnier. Right. The shorter. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see whether or not cuz they've they've just said that he's going to be in the show. They haven't really I mean, they've confirmed that he's going to be as Darth Vader, but whether that means he's constantly going to be in the suit and and whether or not they might have like a a stunt double to do the other shots that require some more swinging around of lightsabers and or something like that. Like maybe they'll have two people playing and he'll, he'll be one of them. Right. Uh, or maybe they haven't really confirmed it, but he could be, they could be calling him Darth Vader, but they're actually bringing him back to reprise the role of Anakin Skywalker in a flashback scene or something. So there's that possibility as well. It could really be either yeah, force ghost flashback, or he could just be Vader. Could just be Vader. Yep. In a very small scene. <laughs> he could just be in there for like two minutes in the whole show. You know, I don't know. Did they announce when the Ahsoka show is going to take place in the timeline? Yeah, they have. So um, I did find a rumored, again, grain of salt. <laughs> they, they, I did find a rumored synopsis of the Ahsoka show. And I did actually send it out as uh, a tweet on uh, on the star on the escape pod twitter so if any of you guys have been following escape pod twitter it's at sw escape podcast daily 
daily updates there. And I'm trying to find it, and I can't find it now, of course. Because <laughs> I was wondering if it takes place really on either side, I guess so it doesn't really matter, whether it's post-Rebels or pre-Rebels. Yeah. It is, there, it is a post-Rebels. Post it is post-Rebels. Yeah. So in uh, that case, it could involve a storyline that has Bo-Katan lose the Darksaber. It could, and, and I mean, that's, yeah, it's obviously also something Mandalorian did flashbacks to the Clone Wars where yeah. Din Djarin was a young boy, right? So it's possible that we could get flashbacks in the Ahsoka show as well. And uh, and here's the synopsis, I just found it. Ahsoka Tano is on the hunt for the evil Grand Admiral Thrawn in the hope it will help her locate the missing Ezra Bridger, the young Jedi that disappeared with Thrawn many years ago. So that is the possible synopsis i don't necessarily know that's confirmed that'd be cool as far as plots that could take place in that era is something i'd be very interested in it does also sound pretty legit Um, and i could see that leading into a big film finale that involves thrawn as the lead villain and they all have to team up yeah and and, okay here's 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 another another thing about all this thrawn stuff and you know so what's funny, we, we keep making comparisons between Ezra and Aladdin, but what's more crazy is that the actor who plays live action Aladdin is is now being fan casted or rumored to be the same actor that will play Ezra Bridger in live action. <laughs> <laughs> so Aladdin is going to be playing Ezra in the show, possibly. I mean, I don't know if this is confirmed or not. Again, grain of salt. I kind of want but, that to happen because you can do super cut edits between Aladdin and Ezra. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. A whole new world. <laughs> A long, long time ago. <laughs> so so he, he put out an Instagram post that said, hey, just so you know, when I escape, I won't hurt any of you. It reads. And so he's, as noted by Kessel Run Transmission's Twitter account, this is a direct quote, as it was said by none other than Ezra Bridger in an episode of Star Wars Rebels. There is virtually zero chance that it that it is by coincidence. It seems, at the very least, that Masood is very aware that he is in the discussion of playing the part of Ezra Bridger. So, there you have it. Yeah, I, I just wonder if Lucasfilm would think it's a little too, like, on the head, you know? <laughs> is it too obvious then that they just ripped off Aladdin? <laughs> I think it's too inspired, late. Bro. Inspired by Aladdin. Oh man, it's too late for that. I mean, like everyone knows it. Everyone knows it. Might as well just embrace it at this point. Just it's give true. it a big hug. Just give it a big hug. Cast the character as as, as Aladdin. You know what's that? Street rat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, guys, for tuning in to Star Wars Escape Pod. And as always, thank you to our lovely co-host, Blake, for joining us for another episode of What Happened. And you can look forward to many more of these types of episodes in the future. We're going to be covering a lot more of the characters that have showed up in The Mandalorian. And uh, we'll eventually expand to going beyond those characters to some of the characters that just showed up in the films. Because, of course, there is comics and novels that they have showed up in. And, you know, we'll do the same kind of context that we did with Darth Maul. And uh, we'll hopefully get it to you in a more condensed format like how Bo-Katan was featured today. But, uh, I mean, we, we obviously, Bo-Katan, with her very limited appearances, we, we end up filling some of the time with uh, some of those, those that other 
chat and speculation on this future Star Wars stuff that we're gonna get from Disney Plus and the in uh, you know down the road and all that stuff. So you know, so much to look forward to. But all right, so uh, the best way to help us out is always by leaving a five star review or leaving anything at all, even if it's a couple nice words down below on uh, the Apple Podcast app if that's what you're using or on uh, Podchaser or, or anything you can find. Uh, even sharing the show with a friend, it really helps bring in new audience members and uh, we just like to expand our audience. It, it's always nice to see this show expand the listener base, even though it's nonprofit. And uh, you know, any donations, of course, there's a link to World Vision down in the description below. So guys, thanks for tuning in. And as always, may the force be with you. We'll catch you next time again, right here on Star Wars Escape Pod. It's like-